Yo, we got some mental health awareness stuff going on, which we and Abby, our guest, say hello, Abby. Hello. 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 Hi, Abby. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's the zero hour. All right. And it's Mark Fitz. I say it like that because I have some mental abilities. And we have... (laughs) We have our host Christine with the most. Chapman, nice to see you or to, hear you all. To uh, to kick this off. And today we're talking to... Abby Rosenberg. And may I actually introduce what Abby does without being told to, that, I'm, that I'm overstepping early on? Uh, Can we get there? Go. Abby is the founder of a nonprofit that is from the town I used to live in. And Abby and I were practically neighbors um, for many years. And it is an honor to have her here with us. She is the founder of the Mental Health Collaborative, um, which she founded a year before COVID. Is is everyone in your town founders of like... Founders and we, CEOs. You know, I have been surprised at how many amazing nonprofits we have, um, you know, in Hopkinton. And um, Abby, Abby was probably one of the, the first moms that I came across who had founded a nonprofit. So, Abby, can we get some background on the first 32, almost 33 years of your... Yes. Career. Give us a give us a and and what a lowdown. What you have seen, heard, you could probably write books about it <laughs> and my or dream, horror novels. Yeah, my dream is to write a book, but um, I'm too busy right now. But yes, um, so I I grew up in Connecticut. I um, you know went to uh, nursing school, not really because I wanted to be a nurse. Um, I had a kind of a circuitous career path. I I went to nursing school because my oldest sister said to me. Um, who was already out of college at the time, said, go to school for something that you can come out and get a job, unlike me, who was, you know, a liberal arts person and and didn't know what she wanted to do, like most people. So I went to nursing school not really wanting to be a nurse, um, but it was fun, and and, um, I thought I might be a club med nurse because I loved entertaining. (laughs) um, (laughs) Is there such a thing? Can I I redo my career and be a club med nurse? You can start now. I started my, my, this, Nonprofit late in life, so um, there you go. So yeah, I uh, then I I worked as a nurse. Realized I did not like it even more, and I realized I did like to talk to people. So I was always getting caught up in rooms, in, yep. the, in the med surge rooms, too much, and in, in talking to people. So um, I ended up going to get my. Ner- I ended up actually working at McLean Hospital, which is a, a psychiatric hospital, which was a great experience. Decided I wanted to get my nurse practitioner in psychiatry. Went out to UCLA and wow, um, I did yeah. not know you went to UCLA. Yeah, yeah, it was a, an adventure. Um, had a had a six point something uh, Richter earthquake my first day out there. Oh my goodness! <laughs> really? Yep. The, I had no furniture in my bookcases, and they all fell down. Oh my god. Um, but anyway, that aside, I uh, then ended up coming back here. I did go back to school again at. Um, Brandeis. I, I did not finish my dissertation wow. because my son, first son, was born. And um, but I, I worked as a psychotherapist and, and psychopharmacologist for yeah thirty plus years. Okay, you just unpacked a lot. I got a lot of questions. All right. Yep. I, I should have been an attorney instead. I sell software. 
Um, all right. So the first time you entered a psychiatric hospital, mm-hmm. do you know what images I have conjured in my in my brain when I hear those two words, psychiatric hospital? I have images of people walking around in gowns, frothing at the mouth, right? Uh, like, <laughs> like from a movie that one like, flew over the cuckoo's nest. One thousand percent, yes. What is the reality of those situations? And please don't tell me it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But no, there has but, to but be... I was Nurse Ratched. So, you know. <gasps> Were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Were you? Uh, no, 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 no. Time for your medicine. Like, <laughs> like, what is it like? Listen, you can't have a movie about. I'm going to say it wrong. You're going to slap me in the face. Crazies, right? Yeah. Slap me now. Okay, I'll take it. Um, without there being some realism to that. So what is it actually like? And was, I would be scared shitless if I was in a hospital like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's not nothing at all like the media portrays it. And that, that's part of the problem with stigma, um, which is what we're trying to eradicate. But... Um, but yes, it, it's changed a lot. So when I, yes. that was 20, I mean, that was a long time ago. That was probably like 1987-ish. Well, do you know the most haunted place in America is an abandoned psychiatric hospital in Connecticut? Really? No, I did yes. not know that. It's, it's in, I grew uh, I lived in Bethel, uh, Western Connecticut, and... The hospital was probably in the Danbury-Bethel area. And when you drive by it, it's still freaky. Like, all I, I envision seeing ghosts, like, in the windows. Like, that's the stigma these places have. Yeah, no, um, it, it was nothing like that. It was, um, But it was very different that people stayed in the hospital for a long, long time and actually got treatment. Yep. And, they, I mean, I had patients in that hospital that were there for a year. Um, now... Psychiatric hospitals are really for more emergent situations to keep someone safe um, so and safety. to get okay. treatment. Okay. But yep. but um, it's it's not and nothing like it used to be. Insurance just doesn't pay for that. Um, things have changed in our healthcare system, but but it's fine because you know um, most people don't need that level of care um, of a ho- inpatient hospitalization. And now there are a lot of different levels of care, like the partial hospitalizations where you go every day and. Um, or, you know, yeah. residents, residential treatment programs. Um, so, yeah, but it was, um, it, there, were, there were, I have to say, some stories. Um. So, so I was, I was going to ask, so my, uh, my eldest uh, is intrigued by the human mind, right? Mm-hmm. Why we do things, why we go off the deep end, why we don't go off the deep end, like why we exist. Mm-hmm. Was that your initial interest in... Psych, is it psycho, anal, um, psycho psychiatric? Thank you, thank care, you, thank you. Yeah. I obviously yes. have not graduated anywhere close to a degree <laughs> in that. Um, but was that your initial interest? Is understanding how people behave and how the mind works? Um, probably somewhat, but really more. It was. I'm so interested in people, um, just everything about them, and in in that journey, I learned about mental illness and. Um, how prevalent it is, and um, that people weren't talking about it. So it was really, it really is more of a helping profession, yes. more than a cure. I'm always curious, but it wasn't of oh, what makes us tick kind of thing. It was more like how can I help people. I have a, I have a question about mental illness, right, yep. and the diagnosis thereof. So, 
do you think, okay, I'm a kid of the 80s, right? And do you think, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, do you think there were a lot of people in the 80s undiagnosed as having mental illness only because we didn't have the technology and knowledge and wherewithal to properly diagnose? And that, 100%. Okay. All right. So people, and is it less so today that we, it's more so today that we can identify and call it out because now we have history and we understand behaviors and patterns. And, and, and is it also about stigma though? Uh, was there more stigma around it back in the 80s than, than there is today? I, I think, yes, there was definitely more stigma, less knowledge, and uh, totally less accepted. I mean, I should have been diagnosed with something. I know I should have. Well, I, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty common. And, and yeah. we, what we know yeah. is that with earlier identification and treatment, the outcomes are so much better. So there's so many people that just never got treatment that that are more treatment resistant because they didn't get it early, which is why, you know, I'm so passionate about what we're doing early because everyone should be mental health literate. And most of us, most people are not. Yeah. I Listen, uh, as part of our, you know, prep meeting, I, I said a couple of things, you know, like, hey, we don't. We don't say it like that anymore. Like so, I think mental health literacy is it's huge, huge. Yes. hugely important because it shouldn't be a stigma, right? If you need help, ask for it, right? But right. you may not know how to ask for it, and you may feel weird about asking for it because you're the only one out of your group of friends who who feels this way, right? Yeah. So, so Abby, I, I know that we're supposed to talk about your zero hour moment and we will, but before we go into your zero hour moment, it's sort of a reverse, but bear with me. I, I feel like you need to speak to what the mission of the Mental Health Collaborative is, because is the primary mission to promote mental health literacy? Yes. So okay. what I realized in my research and um, was, was that there is a huge gap. You know, we're all trying to put out these, you know, we know, we know there's a lot of mental health crises happening um, and mental health challenges happening. Um, but we're all trying to put out these fires in these burning homes, so to speak, analogy. Yes. Um, but we need to get to the homes before the fire starts. Right. So, so proactive versus reactive. Preventative, yes. Yes, um, preventative. Versus a crisis-based yes. model of, of learning. And, you know, in our country we teach do a really good job at teaching all kinds of literacy, but just not so much mental health at all. So um, it's really important that we all can get educated on that. And that's, that is what we do. Our, our mission is to teach mental health literacy and strategies, et cetera, um, to everyone, um, but especially youth and young adults, because we know that 75% of mental illnesses begin their onset before the age of 25. Wow. And we know that um, there is an average gap between those symptoms starting and when someone gets treatment of 8 to 11 years, even now. Wow. Really? Yeah. 8 to 11 years yeah. of so treatment? picture, you know, having asthma and waiting 8 to 11 years to get help breathing. That would never happen. Um. Is is all mental illness, I'm going to use generalizations, is all mental illness progressive, meaning if, God forbid, I have cancer and if I don't catch the cancer early, I have less of a chance of surviving it. Is that the same principle with no. mental illness? No. Um, and I don't think it's 100% the same with cancer. I mean, there's certain aggressive cancers 
there's other cancers that if you never treat and don't know about, they may be, you know, just slowly, slowly spreading, maybe not even. I mean, you know, so so definitely not. There are, there, there's, it's, it's a huge, huge umbrella, mental illness. So it can be, there's no, no, there's no one rule. And there's so many different types. And it, it's almost like saying is, like it's using like, Almost medicine or, or cancer, because look look at all the different types of cancer yeah. there are. Okay, fair, yeah. fair, fair, fair. Is there going back to the mental health collaborative's mission to promote uh, mental health literacy to youth um, and teens? Is is there an an age like an age that your program is really tailored towards? Like if you were to be able to to get kids early based on the curriculum that you were putting out there, and and I do, I'm also curious about your, your distribution model, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there, is there a perfect age for your program or an age range? Well, we have like nine or 10 programs. So the, the one wow. that I really want to get into schools is our... Um, our curriculum, which is for middle school or high school, it is only for one grade. Yeah. Um, in the, it's about eight hours of classroom time, but it's that's been the most challenging. Play to me, it's a no-brainer for every school. Um, but it's been challenging just because of red tape, because of uh, time, so many reasons why it's hard to get into schools. But again, it's a no-brainer. Um, so that is an age, but then there's all the people that care for that age group. That, for example, educators, they need to know when to refer. We don't need them to be therapists, but we need them to be mental health literate. So they know, oh, that's, that's not alarming, or that is alarming, and what am I going to do about it? Who should yes. I talk to? And every school is different. Every school has a different, what we call, pathway through care. So we customize our programs. If we go into, um, you know, your child's school, they may have a certain person that takes care of, you know, or five people that take care of the referrals versus another school might use an outside agency. They might not have any guidance or or counselors in the school. So every educator needs to know that. But then the same thing, we have a mental health essentials for coaches. Coaches are first responders to to the athletes. So, you know, so do they need that too? Because what if, what if they're worried about a student and, you know, what do they do? They don't know most of the time what to do so they might just cross their fingers and hope that that little Johnny comes back to practice the next day so, so I, I have I have a thought and two questions so the, the first thought is is getting mental health awareness into school as difficult as it was maybe early early on as getting sex ed into school probably I, I don't really know that the answer to that question but it's Difficult for a number of probably new reasons of just this hustle culture where everyone is so busy and there's so much to teach and the kids are taking all these AP courses and there's no time in the schedules. Uh, so I think it's a, it, it, you know, there definitely is stigma related and well, I, I le- think it is a huge myth. Do not talk about mental it's a stuff hu- it's because a huge it, it might happen. Well, and and because we are dealing with the largest sort of mental health problem in young people today, 
in in a world that is increasingly complicated and and uncertain, especially yeah. now with everything going on in the world and and so many very like divided opinions. Like it's just mm-hmm. so hard. Like how do we help our kids navigate that just by taking care of the 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 vessels that they are? Yeah, right? and also taking care of ourselves. So it's not just yeah. the kids; it's the, those who engage with the kids, and then it's. Then it's everyone, really. It's it's um, we do things for older adults too. We do a program because everyone needs this, and so so what we do is we teach in every course. We teach these four components, pillars of mental health literacy, as well as strategies kind of meant for that age group. So there's a course for seniors in high school that is meant, you know, of course teaching those four components and pillars of mental health literacy, but also talking about transitions and social health yes. and, you know, things that especially are hard. And, and that was, uh, that passion of the seniors in high school was because I watched my kids go through a hard time, or at least one of them, going from high school, an insulated high school, to college and not knowing what anxiety was. I don't know what anxiety I'll, is. I'll, I'll tell them. I'll tell them what anxiety <laughs> is. Shit. Yeah. Um, so... I, I want to first say it's kind of like shame on the politics of red tape that it is these obstacles and challenges that we have shamelessly put in front of programs like yours, Abby, that don't allow ease of passage into these schools for something that is very important, for something that can save a life. Yes. Right? Like, I'm, I'm, kind of annoyed by it that you know one of the first things you said abby was oh my god there's more obstacles than you could think of and listen curriculum and timing fit it in yeah right fit it in right like it's not just red tape it's also um you know fear like when i first brought this curriculum to a school they said you know i don't know enough about this to teach it and if i start teaching this if I talk about eating disorders, do you know how many parents are going to call me and complain that their kids now have eating disorders because I talked no, about it? No, their, their kids probably had eating disorders <laughs> before you talked about it. And thank God, maybe this means they're getting help. Yeah, and that's a huge right? myth, though. It's a huge myth um, oh. that if we talk about things, it's going to plant a seed and everyone's going to, it's going to happen to right. everyone. So what about the cyberbullying and all the other bullshit that the seed has been planted on these kids on the right shoes, shirt, clothes, makeup, books, car, all the really, honestly, the non-important stuff, right? But that gets passed. And when my kid's like, oh, I need the new Air Jordan, whatever, I'm like, what? I'm like, no, because every kid has it? No. Like, so yeah. that's that's the reverse part of it where you have all this stuff that happens organically, right? Yeah. What, what you're suggesting is inorganic, right? Well, and should be happening organically. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And our programs are, are foundational. They're not everything. They, you know, they teach a really important education, but they're, they're not, they're universal, meaning they're for everyone. They're yep. not for kids specifically having a hard time. Everyone need, you know, and if you want to take care of your, your mental health, you need to be mental health literate. That's just, so it's a really foundational, it's not to take the place of other things. It's just, it's a foundational education that doesn't take a ton of time, but it's 
important. Now, now, Abby, what is your, and we are going to get to your zero hour moment, yeah. but like, what is your delivery model then? Do you go directly into schools? Do you um, work with parent-teacher organizations with, like, do you run separate programs through spaces that you may rent? I, I'm just curious. Um, we have a number of different um, models. So um, our school-based programs are either we going in, whether it's virtual or in person. Now, you know, our, my, my vision, my goal is to be in every part of the country. So Amazing. It, it, that may not happen uh, um, in my lifetime, but I'm going to try. Um, so, so, yeah, we have school-based programs yeah. where, where we go in more virtually, and we teach parents, we teach the coaches, we teach, you know, the juniors and seniors and the educators. Um, those programs, some of them are train-the-trainer, meaning we go into a school once, we teach the educators the foundation they need, and then we teach them the curriculum, and they have that curriculum forever, so they then can go teach the students year after year. Yep. And they're a part of our family, so to speak, in that they get all of our updates. They get a community of practice where they can meet with us virtually and other schools that are part of our our community um, and talk about what's been difficult, what's been, you know, we help them. We have educators and clinicians that help them kind of problem solve. So, so being small in that way, it has been a blessing in that we can, as we start from scratch, we can kind of include people. We're not this huge company that has, you know, you pay and then you have, we have no time for you. So we're kind of building from the ground up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then we have programs where we just go in, but I love our train-the-trainer models because those we can teach. We teach uh, either teachers or clinicians the program, and they have all the materials they need forever. And our goal, really, in schools is to make the curriculum a part of the, you know, embed it into the existing curriculum so that it's not, it's a no-brainer that they teach it year after year. And and there should be no excuse in that kind of a model for a school to say or a school district to say, yes, this is valuable and it potentially is a one-time, you know, expense that yes. becomes the gift that keeps on giving, right? Yeah, I mean, and we have, um, you know, we, we, do, we support schools financially as much as we can. We, amazing. You know, it, and if they do pay, it's not, it's not a huge amount of money. So it's, you know, it's definitely affordable. Abby, what... What can people be doing to help propel, support your organization? Uh, obviously, you're going to give us the website and what it is you're doing, but like, what should people be doing to advocate for this in their local schools? Yeah, I think if the, you know, connecting to us either through our website or through me, but connecting to us so that we have the connections whether that be a parent saying to the, you know, the decision maker, I want this in our school, yeah. or a school board person, or so it could be anybody saying, please check this out. We want our kids to have this. We want our teachers to have this. We want our coaches to have this. Um, and it's really, you know, that that is a huge thing. We also do workplace programs, but, our, you know, and we do organizational programs, which have been really helpful, also train the trainer. So, for yep. example, um, CASA or Big Brother brother big sister we will teach their staff what they need to teach the people working with youth and then again they have that for their onboarding year after year that's awesome um mentalhealthcollaborative.org yeah it's mentalhealthcollaborative.org spelled out 
Excellent. Okay, now now you're on. I I I need for you to tell us the zero hour moment that ultimately led to your being able to found this incredible vision, correct? Yes. Um yes, it was it was quite a moment. Um so I, you know, as I said I worked for years and years um seeing people and I had um one patient who I saw for many many years and he was doing really well. He moved out of state and um I think I mentioned this on his birthday every year. He would send me flowers. It his, was his birthday. His birthday, yeah. Okay. And not on your birthday because no. that's how I understood it. Nope. He did not know my birthday. Oh, on his we birthday. We have boundaries. Oh, really? On his birthday. Okay. <laughs> we always that have boundaries in our field. Yes, So he yes. didn't know my, anything about my birthday. Um, but on his birthday, um, he would send me flowers. And the note just said the exact same thing every year. Again, he was out of state. And it said, um, you know, thank you for giving me my life back. Um, Amazing. That was it. Yeah. So one year I didn't get flowers and, um, you know, I was thought about it actually. Um, and then I, I don't know, I got a letter and I, I, I said this, I, I will never forget this moment. I was standing in my kitchen. My kids, I think were in middle school or, or high school. Yep. Yep. Maybe. And, um, I got a letter from an estate attorney telling me that, that my patient had died. Um, I later found out by suicide, um, and had left me money in his will, um, and it was quite a, it was a significant, significant amount of yeah, money. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I had this money and it was a big, big decision that I, you know, my husband supported, um, which, you know, again, I sometimes question that decision, but um, <laughs> <laughs> on the bad days, I question that decision. But, um, but yeah, so I, I decided with that, that I wanted to do something with that money that it, and took a huge, really, leap of faith and kind of a pivot in my career and started this nonprofit um, that I, you know, I, I'm kind of... Uh, I got questions, Abby. Yeah, I got, yeah go, go, go. I, I got lots and lots of questions. Okay, let, go. Let me, let me unpack this a little bit. So you get this lump sum, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think, hindsight being twenty twenty, that your former patient gave this to you because he knew you would use it in such a way to help others. He knew, instinctively knew. No. Really? Because he had written me some, you know, looking back, he had my email. Okay. Yeah. And looking back, I could tell, he said things like, I want you to have fun. Really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. I want you to live your life. Yeah, I think he thought that I worked too much. Um and so do you think he would frown on the way in which like and say, damn it, she sh- I told I, I left this to her so she could have fun. No, I think <laughs> I think I need to learn that lesson. I need to balance yes. my work and life. And that's up. That's my, you know, that's that's, that's your job in life. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's what I need to learn and what I'm working on. But I think he I think it I just couldn't see not I think it's. You know, he was giving me a message that he couldn't do it in this world we live in, that he was still living in shame. And even though all the work we did, um, he couldn't live anymore. So I don't know. I think it just was a way for me, too. I was was working one-on-one with people and working with, um, you know, what we called the worried well, no longer really making as much of an impact as I I think I did when I was younger. Worried well? What does that mean? That means like, um, you know, like they're they're important 
problems to go to a therapist with, but it's not mental illness, okay. perhaps. Um, or maybe I, there is mental illness, but what we were working on was more... Just like very navigating life. Stuff. Yeah, very yeah. important stuff, but not impact, not impacting more than one person at a time, basically. All right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before, before we move on, uh, more questions about the, the moment between your husband and yourself in the kitchen, right? So yeah. I envision you open this letter... You see this whatever check, or I it wasn't there. Obviously, is it like a WTF moment? And you're 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 talking to your husband, and he's like, "Hell yeah, we're buying that we're buying that house, that car, going on a vacation." <laughs> like, and you're like, "No, no, 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 no." Or was, are you two in line where it was a decision that was just like, "Yo, this seems natural and progressive." Was it was it like that? No, it was more like total shock. Like, okay. oh my God, not only did he die, yeah, but he left me money and I have this letter. And it was like more like shaking hands, yeah. like shaky hands. Yeah. You kind still of have the holding letter, right? the letter. You still have the letter. Um, you know what? I'm sure I do, but I don't know where it is in this mess of a house. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was more like just shaking hands and, and being like, oh, my God. Like, in my kids, I, I'm sure they remember. They were watching TV, and, and my husband, I don't, and I don't know if he was actually home. Did you shriek? I, yeah, I was like, I was just shaking. My heart was beating. My heart rate went up. I was, I was you know, having kind of a, um, a reaction yeah, to this. Yeah, for sure. I like, too. wow, what is going on? And then I called. You'd never see me again, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I called the estate attorney and said, you know, I, I don't understand, like, what, what's going Like, I was just kind of in yeah. shock. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. he said, um, well, I can, we have options. I can I can take it check. back. <laughs> no, she said, I can send you a check. Or um, I'm like, send me a check. I, was, I literally was probably in shock. I'm like, what do you mean, send me a check? Um, because uh, it, was for a million, it was for a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. And so I, That's unbelievable. Yeah, a million said, dollars. Um, well, I could... I could wire it if you want to give me the information. So she was just, this happens every day in her life, probably. Yeah. yeah um, sure. But I was just in shock, and I'm like, oh, I don't understand. So I, I, it was then, like, kind of talking to more people. I had to talk to, you know, different people, and I had to get an attorney. And, um, you know, there was just some stuff to do that it took, a, it was a long time, yeah. and then it was a long time of kind of, what am I going to do? It yeah. wasn't a... a snap decision at all. Yeah, so how long did it take you to be to to decide, okay, I'm I, I know I wanted to do something good with this. I wanna honor I wanna honor my, my former patient in some way, shape or form, even though he would probably be happy with me having fun. And and this is what I plan to dedicate myself to that will become um, you know, the next trajectory of my, my life's journey. Yeah, um, it took, um, I don't even, it's kind of all blurry, um, but it took probably four months, maybe. You know, it, everything wow. takes a long time, too, in an estate, so it's not like I, you know, snapped my fingers and the money was there. Right, right. So it took, there were, it was a whole process of, um, you know, as it turned out, uh, someone who was, there, there really wasn't there weren't many people in the will and someone who thought they should be fought the will. So that was fought that he was not of, of solid sound mind. So, yeah. 
So, so that was another holdup, which, you know, it did end up that the this, this estate attorney said he was in sound mind when he changed his will, and, mm-hmm. and, and I can, that's part of what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so it wasn't. It was. It was more complicated than just okay. Let me get this check and then I'll decide. It. W- it was a process. So how long ago was that? That was um, probably like 2017. Okay. Wow. All right. So you are obviously well into your way of the mental health collaborative, right? Yeah, we didn't found until 2019. Okay. Um, so that was the we founded it in 2000. I founded it, I guess, in 2019, and and uh, yeah, maybe it was. I can't even remember, honestly. It's kind of a blur. I don't, I, it was probably 2017 sometime. So, but I have to look. So five, six years later, right? Vision yep. is founded. You're in, the, you know, you're in the weeds building this thing. And looking back, Abby, you know, like looking back, what 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 advice would you give to Abby back in in 2017, right? Um, would you do it all over again? And if you could, what would you change? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a hard... I, I think because I'm in the thick of this right now, where we're at a kind of a pivotal point where it's taking a lot of work and I need to hire people yep. or at least more people to help. And so it's, it's a hard, that's a hard question to answer one thing I know in starting a nonprofit that I would have done very differently is I would have had everything kind of more organized from the onset, but I didn't know enough to do that. So there's so many things with a nonprofit, as you know, Christine, yes. like governance and all of these laws and the IRS and um, that it's, they're hard for me. Yeah. And it is my job to be, you know, on top of that. Well, but, you know, on some level, the entrepreneurial, you know, visionary that usually is the founder of a nonprofit usually doesn't have all of their sort of ducks in a row in all of, you know, in all of the different ways a nonprofit needs to be supported, right? At the end of the day, you start something like this because you see a problem and you create a vision to solve that problem. And probably that vision has evolved over the last four years since the since the organization came into existence, right? Like maybe yeah. you started with one program in mind yes. and that program became nine or ten. Did you say yeah. nine? I think nine at this point. Crazy. Time, yeah. So yeah, it you know, that's a hundred percent it. It's like if you go if you move into a role that already exists in a nonprofit, you probably don't take on as many hats as when you start it and it's you. Yeah. Well, it's like starting any business, right? Yeah, if, if yeah, you, exactly. If if the you know, if the job is already there, you just fill the slot. If you're creating yeah. the job, it creates yeah. efforts yeah. and different things. Like yeah, a domino so I, yeah. yeah. So I guess the wish the wish I would have is to not to not right now have you know, I feel now like an octopus with maybe fourteen arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not mm-hmm. twelve but fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had kind of anticipated or would be able to hand those things off. And I think you probably know as a as a uh, starter of something with a vision, it's hard then to hand those things off. And yes. you don't know when and you don't know the process. So, yeah, I, I'm learning. And I think the biggest lesson I'm learning is that I need to take care of myself more 
than I have been in terms of I could work I could literally work on this twenty four hours a day yes. if I if I let myself. So let me let me let me ask a question. Take care of yourself more. That means protect your mental health as well. Yes, yes that's oh. what I need to do. And it's it's you know that's kind of the the uh, helper profession problem in general is you know you have to put on your do you give yourself mask a cut off before other people. Do you give yourself a nightly cutoff? I have a cutoff at eight thirty. My brain shuts off. I don't. I'm trying, and I'm trying to exercise more and do the things I need. You know, it's built up over four years of just going from this is a great idea to now I'm working my uh, myself into the ground. So, right. so, and not you know that's all I can change that. So that's something I can control. But it's it's hard for me. Yes, I, I it's hard for Christine to, too. So yeah. I, I asked that question because. Uh, dude, if you've ever seen Christine's calendar, it and it's nauseating every hour of every day. Start. I mean, she starts a little later, right? But she goes until ten, eleven, twelve o'clock. And like, I think mental health as an entrepreneur, right, is a big thing. Like, you need to, like, you know, Kenny yeah, Rogers, no. know when to hold them, know when to fold them, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. So I, I mean, that's you know, and that's why I love like. Things like, you know, walking with Christine, which we need to do. Talked about, yeah. It's like it's like the, it, you know, there's so many things I want to do, and that's why I run for mental health, mental yeah. physical health. But I, you know, I it, they come, you just feel too busy sometimes, and those are the things that fall last on the list, and yes. they shouldn't. But it's um, it's a work in progress, really. I. I, I have a, sorry, Christine. I knew about to speak. I gotta. I gotta. Yeah, just, I, it's I, okay. I, I've been thinking about this question for like the last seventeen seconds. I gotta get it out. Um, as an occupational hazard of being a mental health professional, do you? I'm asking this somewhat as a joke, but somewhat, you know, wanting to know the answer. Are you constantly in your head evaluating people? Like, are you like, like? I, oh, I'm, it's kind of laughable, but I feel sorry for your husband, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel sorry for your kids, right? No, no, I'm never, I, I'm a much more of a curious, I'm always curious. But, like I ask too many questions, but, you know, but not still, in a, not in a. Not in an evaluative, judgmental no, way. But how never. do you not? It's your personality. It's what you do. But I'm well. just so curious. I love hearing people's stories. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. What's your husband's name? Shout out to Rich. What up, dog? <laughs> and and to her wonderful boys, Zach and Evan. Zach yes. and Evan. Yeah. Yes. I have to tell you, um, you asked me ahead of time, like, who are my mentors? Yes. And I couldn't come up with just one. I mean, I, I have some of the best mentors in the world. Um, that's just how I, how I operate is yep. by learning from other people and hopefully being a mentor because of the, the luck I've had with so many wonderful people guiding me. But my kids um, are definitely two of my biggest mentors. Um, they teach they, us so much, right? They do. They are. Your boys are amazing. And they really support me. Like, they give me advice. Um, they are unbelievable. So, yeah, they are. And just looking at what they've done, you know. Rich is not a mentor, have you noticed? Rich no, no, is... he, no, he, <laughs> Have you noticed, everyone? Rich is not a mentor. <laughs> he is a mentor. No, he's he not. He's but... your boys. <laughs> yeah, I guess my, I, I mean, he is a mentor. He, I, I need to learn from him how to, how to balance that work life much more. 
Abby, yeah. I know you've got a hard stop in just a couple of minutes, and I wanted to thank you, but um, I did want to ask you, as um, the founder of the Mental Health Collaborative, if you would share with parents and with young people maybe three tidbits of key advice in terms of um, the work that you have done in mental health literacy, whether it's tips um, wise, you know, wise pieces of advice um, to parents and kids, or if there are three universal tips, that would be great. Or, or warning signs, or signs, or you yeah, know, like what do we for, need? Yeah, because we are a, a mental health illiterate culture. What signs, like you know, the kids? What do we need to be looking? The for? kids, you know, cutting themselves—that's a definite sign. But yeah. what are other things? Maybe. Maybe not as as uh, oppressive as a cutter, but stuff we should look out for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess advice wise, I'd say everyone should get mental health literate, and and mental health literacy has four components. So, um, it's it's I'm going to give you a high level overview. Yes. Of the stigma, um, you know, stigma is what gets all of us. Um, away from getting what we need and deserve in terms of treatment. So stigma is a big one, talking about things, using the right language, all that. Um, knowledge of what is mental illness, what are the like, signs and symptoms that you're, you should be looking for, which I can tell you in a minute. I mean, I can't really tell you in this little call, but, right. um, but that's important. And then also knowing what isn't mental illness, because there's a lot of self-diagnosing going on. There's a lot of parents who, um, you know, trying to be a good parent, but worry about normal emotions and we need our kids to feel normal emotions if they don't feel normal sadness, normal disappointment, right. um, expected reactions to things, they are in trouble because some anxiety is positive. Um, yes. Mm. So you need a healthy dose of it, of, of worry, anxiety. But um, the, uh, the third component is how to maintain your best mental health. So what are your coping skills? Um when not when things are going great, but when things aren't going great, you know, there's positives and negatives. So what are your coping skills and yep. what are your kids' coping skills and teaching them? And that's what we teach, of course, in the curriculum um, as well. But And then the fourth component that we teach in every single course is um, help-seeking. So knowing when you actually need professional help. Like, is it is it normal to have a bad day every, you know, every week? Yes. Yes. Um, but if it goes on for two weeks, three weeks, then that's not normal. So... That does need evaluation. It might mm-hmm. not mean you have a mental illness, but it needs evaluation. So, so knowing when to get help and then how to do that, mm-hmm. how to how to access that help, um, especially if you're immediately worried, concerned. You know, if it's more of a crisis, of course you need to know how to do that. Um, so, I would say getting mental health literate. I would say, um, like I said, allowing your kids to feel the tough stuff, um, but also being a, a constant presence for them because. They need to know that that they have someone there. They need those go-to people. So being kind of a constant, steady, um, but not overbearing presence. I think um, that's the balancing act for parents. Yes. Listen, I think kids say kids say shit all the time that gets you thinking, and you know they're just trending on words, right? right? But being there, you know, we we say we are meanest to the people we love the most. Right, because mm-hmm. they'll never go away. Yeah, uh, but being there and being omnipresent is spot on. Yeah, Absolutely. and and being there and 
um, I think, you know, really, um, I guess in terms of parents is, um, you know, not being afraid. Like when you say not, you know, uh, overreacting, that's a really, like you said, it's a balancing act because if, if they do say something that piques your concern, it will never, ever hurt to ask about it. And right. that's a big myth. So, right. like, even saying, I mean, I've said to my kids, are you thinking of hurting yourself? And they will say, Mom, no. But I asked. And yeah. if I didn't ask and they were, they yeah. would be relieved. Yeah. So yeah. that's a huge, huge, there's nothing wrong with asking. Yeah. My kids have always said to me, my eldest especially, it's like, Dad, if you want to know anything, just ask. Yeah. Just ask. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I mean, I, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot that we all have to learn, but um, I think, you know, my advice to young people would probably be, you know, try to be in the present, even though that's really hard with all the pressure they're under and all the social media and um, all of that stuff. And, and try not like, you know, try not to worry so much, but if you are really worried, don't do it alone. Yeah. That's yes. great advice, Abby. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Abby, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for sharing so much of what is important and what our audience needs to hear as parents, as kids, as, as people navigating life. And we will we will chat with you soon. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun, and, and um, I hope to see you both soon. Abby from the mentalhealthcollaborative.org. Thank you. 